Hey, Mason. I know this is a photography podcast, but I think it's time we spend an episode talking about our computers. Oh, yeah. Computers are a massive part of our photography. We both have new machines to talk about, so I'm all in. We don't just have new computers. We have the supercharged MacBook Pros with the Apple M1 Max processors. Yeah. And since <laughs> Apple's new studio computers have just landed, this is the perfect time to photocombobulate all of this new tech. And, you know, nothing's getting cheaper, so we're here to help you find the best options that won't melt your credit card. So much of what we do as digital photographers is done on computers. From phones to tablets to home office setups, the fast-moving world of technology can make your head spin. So we're going to tell you what we've got and how we use it. I'm Mason Marsh. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This is Photocombobulate. So Jeff, just just to, so everybody knows, we got these new MacBook Pro computers at the same time at the end of last year. So we've yeah. had almost five months now of use on these machines, and so it's not like we just unboxed them and we're giving our first impressions. <laughs> these are these are machines that we've been using for quite a while, and we're also when we're talking about the Apple Silicon, we've also been using the Apple M1 chip in our iPad Pros. For, uh, I think, about a year now, right? Yeah, they came out uh, like mid-year last year, I think. It sounds May, right. Maybe. It sounds June. right. Long enough ago that I've forgotten that I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's Apple Silicon in our phones as well and our watches and our Apple TVs and all of that. So we are Apple fanboys, but we're not fanboys. I mean, if, if there was something better out there, I'm sure we would... We would use it, but um, <laughs> this is where Col <laughs> this is where Colby Brown jumps in. And yeah, talks where Colby Brown's like, well, I'll about tell you the about benefits it. of your 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 home built PC. Yeah, um, so which, I use I yeah, use yeah. Dell, and they, <laughs> and they send them to me. Hi, Colby. By the way, <laughs> yeah, we love you, Colby. But come on. Well, you know what? And and I want to jump in here and say it's it's interesting that we're talking about this because. Uh, for a long time, what processor was running in your computer, that was something that most people didn't really need to care about. And mm -hmm. there's still an argument that most people don't need to care about it because as long as your computer does what you want it to do, it doesn't really matter. And so, you know, whether you had a MacBook Pro or an iMac with a Intel i7 or an i5 or how much cash and memory, like all these things that make your eyes gloss over, for the most part, I'm speaking really generally, it didn't really matter. But then Apple yeah. goes and and puts their own chips into their own devices, starting with the iPhone and then now the iPad. And now actually the, the iPad also had Apple Silicon. It was just mm -hmm. the stuff based on what was being used in the phone. And then they made these these M1 chips, these processors that are for the computers, for the desktop computers. Right. And at this point, I would say it still doesn't really matter because, okay, fine, Apple is making its own chips versus relying on a third-party supplier. And again, you fall asleep because who cares? Yeah. But here's the thing. They are 
amazingly, incredibly fast, efficient, a whole bunch of things that trickles down to all the the stuff that we do as photographers in a very big way, mm-hmm. uh, videographers, video editing, audio editing, like all these things that suddenly you can make a really good argument for, yes, my previous computer was perfectly fine, but these computers are really compelling. I think that's a lot about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I've never really been – Especially, I think tribal might be the right word for this. I've never been one of these people who's like, you know, I'm staunchly um, Ford versus Chevy, right? That's sort of, right, you know, right. I've, I've been to plop myself down in the Apple camp. For me, when people ask me, why do you use Apple devices? I used to always say, for me, it's it just works. And, you know, you don't need to crack open the, the case and play around inside. And I always likened it to cars because I like to draw parallels to simpler technology. But say you know, you buy a really high-end sports car and you open the hood and there's a big cover over the engine that says, don't touch, you know, octung, <laughs> you know, don't touch. <laughs> and you buy a muscle car and you open it up and you can see all the parts and move things around and bolt new stuff on and things <laughs> like that. And I used to always say that PCs were like muscle cars. You know, they, they're really super fast. They certainly do the job. But if you want something that's just going to start every time and you can just drive it and you don't need to know how it works, you know, you get get this Porsche or whatever. Yeah. So I see that Apple PC thing still that way. But the truth is, Jeff, it doesn't really matter because it just works. And I'm going to come back to this a lot in this conversation. Mm -hmm. The reason I like these things is because I don't have to understand how the Apple M1 chip works. I just know that it does. Right. Every right. time. Well, up until this point, when I have been making that same argument, you know, do I want to use a Mac versus a PC? I would say 90% of the argument for me is not necessarily what's in the computer, what's under the hood. It's the experience of using Mac mm-hmm. OS and, you know, the, the, the complexities of dealing with Windows drivers and things like that. Like there's, there's that experience of using it. And, on that level, you know, it does not matter what's in the computer, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. did, did I get the better graphics card versus the the standard built-in graphics? And for most people, it doesn't really matter. Right. Now, we sort of ratchet up a little bit for photographers. And I think you could still make the argument that for most photographers, it's probably not going to matter. But then you start to bleed into situations where, yeah, you know, having a better processor does improve things in in certain ways. I think that's really what got us to this point because we're talking about not just maybe something that works a little tiny bit better, but something that is a marked improvement, a real jump in technology and the time it takes to do things where literally if you're a photographer who who just even bleeds a little bit into that area, you're going to see noticeable differences that are going to help you. And that blows me away, honestly. This new laptop that I have is the first computer I've had ever in many, 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 many computers over the years where I never have to sit and wait for it. And it 
and I do some pretty heavy lifting with this computer now. Oh, and, I, so, and I think we do want to talk about what our workflows are like because it does have everything to do with this. I, but, I, but I want to go back real quick before we get into that uh-huh. and say this. We are people who believe in the Apple ecosystem because it's what we're used to and we're comfortable with it and we're it's familiar and we're happy working with some of the quirks of Apple's um, operating systems. Oh, sure. I love the fact that my phone and my watch and my iPad and my TV all communicate and work together nicely. If you're not somebody who likes that and you prefer the Windows uh, system, that's great. You know, when it comes to things like Lightroom and Photoshop and all of the photo processing tools that we use, they're cross-platform. And you mm-hmm. can have just as much fun on the other machines doing that. But for us, this is the camp that we set up our tents in. And I'm, you know, if I wasn't happy here, I would happily move. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I just don't want people to think, oh, dismissing <clears throat> us because we're, you know, quote unquote, just stuck with Apple. Right. Um, right. And we choose right. to be here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the things that's going to come up here is, you know, you talk about a processor, you talk about processing speeds and it's a real sort of, like you said, sort of muscle car kind of thing where it's like, oh, well, my engine is bigger than this engine and I can do this a whole lot faster uh, if I have a custom built water cooled PC with yeah. neon lights on the Those inside, cool and, yeah, you know, cool like, lights. like you can spec yourself out a massive computer that will do amazing things. And that's great, but it's not just that there's, there's a lot more to it, which I think is the thing that that's really struck me the most about, about the M1 processors is other things like heating and, uh, battery longevity and things like Mm -hmm. that that we'll get get into before we do that i really want to talk a little bit about where we came from absolutely yeah (laughs) it's very important to talk about where we came from (laughs) all right so i grew up in twin no 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 not not that far back (laughs) back. (laughs) so mine was a commodore 64 that's where i started so i had a big 20 yeah Uh Who's the nerd now? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, we're, we're, we're both the nerds. I want to just sort of preface this by saying when the M1 MacBook Pros came out, my opinion was they are very cool. They look really impressive. And I don't need one because right. I had a 2019 MacBook Pro that was pretty decently specced. I paid extra for the better graphics card and I – mostly didn't have any complaints about it. And so I typically, you know, go maybe three or four years between computer upgrades. That's, I I feel like I get a good life out of it after three years. And so doing this after two years just wasn't really on my map. And you've always been a laptop guy, right? I've always been a laptop guy. Yeah. 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 I think like, I think you have a Mac mini for testing purposes, but your day-to-day computer has always been a laptop or a MacBook pro, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just been much better for me to do that just because sometimes I'm in, in coffee shops and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, now, what what started to change my mind about this was uh, listening to you and mm. your your previous machine. Yeah. So I had a, an iMac that was uh, pretty long in the tooth. It was a 2000, I want to say it was a 2017, 18 model iMac and it had the Intel i7 processor. It was a pretty well-specced 
iMac when I bought it. You know, was, I spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. And it was quite old for a computer. And I really liked it. It had the 5K display. It was a big, beautiful display. It was a great computer for a long time. But over the last two years of its useful life with me, um, I would come up against its limits quite often when I was trying to do uh, panoramas. And so for some background, I shoot a lot of panorama photos. And so I'm out with my Sony camera, which is a real high-end, uh, high-megapixel camera. So my files are huge. That come My raw files that come out of the camera are huge. And then I'm combining, you know, sometimes 9, 10, 11, 12 of these images into a panorama which I'm processing in Lightroom, and then I may send off to Photoshop or uh, Luminar or something like that for some additional polishing before I output it. And I was I was watching that beach ball spin a lot, <laughs> and it was getting really tiresome. In fact, there were a lot of photos where I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to process this one yet. I'm going to wait until I have a better computer because I just don't have the patience. <laughs> I just don't have... I. I it drives me crazy to sit and watch that beach ball spin around. And so I knew that there was uh, the M1 chip was out. You know, obviously Apple had introduced the M1 chip quite a few months before these new MacBook Pros were announced. Mm -hmm. They had them in the early um, smaller MacBook Pro. They had a, the M1 chip in the uh, an early 24-inch uh, iMac series, mm -hmm. that the colorful yeah. iMacs. And it's been out there for a while, and people were singing about how great it was. And there was a moment, Jeff, I remember you talked me off the – off the ledge, there yeah. was a moment where I was going to go buy one of these uh, M1 Macs mm -hmm. because I was just so tired of my iMac. And you were like, no, I think they're going to come out with something better towards the end of the year. Can you just wait? And I'm like, yes, I'll just wait. And the, the heartburn that I had, Jeff, is I've having been used to the iMac, I, had, I think I had that iMac that I had uh, at the end of the year was my third iMac. Mm -hmm. uh, and I used to use laptops separately. So I had a separate laptop that I would use when I travel, but my home work computer was always this big iMac. And I was like, you know, I really like that big screen. I really like the fact that, you know, you can get more stuff for less money with an iMac most of the time. And I really, when they announced the M1 Max MacBook Pros at the end of the year, I I love the, the specs on it. You know, it sounded just like it was exactly what I needed to do the heavy lifting that I do with my photos. But it's that it's a little screen, right? right. <laughs> it's a 16 inch screen compared to a 27 inch screen and all of that. But it, the, the key thing that really sent me over the edge was it was a mini LED screen on these mm -hmm. new MacBook Pros. Mm -hmm. And I have the 12.9 inch Mac or iPad Pro, which has a mini LED screen and an M1 chip in it. And that screen is brilliant, absolutely stunning. And I'm like, if I can get that type of screen, on a laptop, that's better than a big screen with less quality. In my mind, I'll just sit closer. Right? I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just put it closer to my face. And so, yeah, when we were looking at these computers and, and we both went back and forth, we messaged each other back and forth, like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And you were like, I don't need one, right? I, I've got this right. fairly fresh MacBook Pro. But the thing that kind of, I think, sold you was the battery life. So, right? yeah, so there are a few things that, that, that sold me on it. Um, first of all, uh, you and I are terrible cross enablers because yeah. <laughs> I was, I was definitely above it all. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't need this this year. And then the first review started coming out and people that we knew started getting them. And so for me, the thing that has made a big difference and 
I don't know if I can accurately describe this because here's the thing about using computers in general is that once you start doing what you're doing, right? You're, you're using email, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you're not focused on the computer. You're focused on what's happening on the screen. And so mm-hmm. whether you have a, a gold iMac or a MacBook Pro or an Apple Studio, what you're doing is is just what you're doing. And, and you're just focused on the software and the interaction and all of that stuff. So for me, what's interesting is that I would say almost every day there is something about this computer that reminds me that I have this really good computer mm-hmm. and, and, and I appreciate it. So, for example, the screen. There are some times when even just pulling up an HDR video, um, even I have a, a screensaver. This is going to sound silly. There's a screensaver <laughs> – called uh, Arial, A-E-R-I-A-L. And it's a third-party utility. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, But what it does is it allows you to use the same screensavers that Apple developed for the Apple TV, which are these like nice, super gorgeous, slow-motion panorama video shots. They're they're amazing. They're just like smooth uh, drone shots. Well, they're in HDR. And when you look at them on, you know, an HDR 4K TV set, some of them are just gorgeous. And when it comes up on my laptop screen, say, you know, I go and get some lunch, I come back, it kicks into this HDR mode and it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So the quality of this screen and when I'm editing photos, oftentimes I'll be looking at the screen and it is gorgeous. And it amazes me the quality of this screen like I said, like almost on a daily basis. So yeah. that's so that's one part of it. The other part of it, and this honestly is what really uh, ticked it over for me, which is battery life and power management. Wait, those are the same things, but they're <laughs> but they're sort of not. So so battery life for one thing. With my 2019, it was a good machine, and like I said, I had like the better graphics card. And when you get a better graphics card, you take a hit in battery life. That's just sort of expected. But even after only two years, doing the stuff that I do, if I was running Lightroom and Photoshop and InDesign, there are times when when I need to run a lot of these apps, I could maybe get two hours of battery life out of this. And I always needed to have a power source somewhere and be able to plug in somewhere. Now, you know, during the pandemic, that's hasn't been difficult. In right. the days when I was going to coffee shops and stuff, that becomes a lot more difficult. Well, now I can literally go for, you know, eight, nine hours. I actually have a laptop where I can spend the entire day on battery and mm-hmm. not worry about it. And that has been revolutionary for me. And again, every day I look up and I I realize that I've been using it for three hours and I still have 85% battery left. Yeah, and that's it's using incredible. all these that's using all all of the these big apps that are ten, that tend to be power and memory hungry. And then yeah. the last thing I know 
people are going to forget that you're even on this because I'm just going on and on and on. <laughs> what, what happened to Mason? <laughs> did, he, did he get cut off? <laughs> the last thing uh, related to the power thing is that literally since I have had this computer, it's now the end of April. I got it at the end of December. I have heard the fan once. Just once. Wow. That's crazy. And just let that sink in because with, with, with my 2019 machine, if I was if I was running like, you know, maybe two of those apps, the fan would kick on and it was, you know, I mean, it would kick on. Like my fan would just go crazy. And the fan does go on here. I have um, – I, I use iStat menus, which tells me like the, the, the temperature and there's a um, – you know, like how much the processor is using in the GPU and there, there's a thing. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> you okay there? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> uh, I, I specifically use this just, just to see what this machine was doing. Yeah. Um, and, and it'll tell you, you know, like, like it, it, I click it right now. It'll tell me right now my left fan and my right fan are both at zero RPM. And we <laughs> are doing a live – video mm-hmm. zoom recording and I'm recording audio in the background and the fan just doesn't come on. And so just in terms of, of power usage, but in terms of just my, my work area, I'm not having to listen to my fans blast me like some sort of uh you know, rocket engine. Well, and it makes a difference when we're doing something like this recording. Oh, you know, to have turn my external hard drives off and everything in here is silent. And my old iMac wasn't like that. There, there was always something making some noise and mm-hmm. these microphones will pick that up. And so it's, it does make a difference in the, in the smallest ways. You find these little things that are like, wow, it's really nice that I can go all day without worrying about plugging my computer in. You know, I don't have to worry about the fan noise when recording audio. It's, it, these things are all just really nice. And it goes back to this idea that it just works. It's just, I don't have to worry about it. I don't even have to think about it. And that frees up my mind to be creative. That frees up my mind to enjoy the process of making beautiful photos or videos or audio. And it's what a great tool that is, you know, for it to become transparent in that process. I think mm-hmm. that's the secret here. So I, I would love to talk about our process, Jeff, because both of us do a little bit different work and we both have different specs on our machines. And so we both right. have the 16 inch, the big one, the 16 inch mm-hmm. MacBook Pro. I have the M1 Max with, I'd have to pull it up, but I think I maxed it out performances. I think you so have 64 gigs of RAM, right? So I have 64 or, gigs of RAM and or, well, I, of, of memory, which is, is a difference but yeah it's it's it's, we can't use apples and apples anymore right i mean how they use no we're both using apples (laughs) (laughs) sorry i know it's a bad choice um, i'm still throwing you off Uh, so no no so so one thing about this um uh, all right now i am gonna gonna get geeky for a second um, get geeky because i i did say like you're not using ram you're using memory and Again, mm-hmm. like people are going to roll their eyes. One of the things about these processors is it doesn't have dedicated RAM. It has a big block of memory that's used for everything. And the way that it's it's designed is it makes that memory usage a whole lot more efficient. So a lot of the, the, the speed and performance gains that we're getting is because of the way it uses that memory. It's not handing off to different components, et cetera. And so – 
another consideration when you're looking at, at, at these machines, if you were thinking in the old way of, okay, let's say I want to get an iMac, just, just a regular 24 inch, you know, colored iMac and it comes with eight gigs or 16 gigs. I, I don't think you can even do more than that. I don't think so on those. And, no. and, you know, like my brain forever has been like, I will never get a machine that just has eight gigs of memory because it's just not enough. Well, because of of the efficiency and the way memory is treated on the M1 chips, 8 gigs is actually perfectly great. And you get a lot of performance and even you know doing a lot of the, the photographic things that we're doing here, you will still see significant improvements. So don't let that, that memory number dissuade you and think, oh, well, geez – I need to get something with at least 64 gigs of, of memory. And I guess that means I have to get an Apple studio where really what I need is just a regular iMac. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And I just checked that they, they either are eight gig or 16 gig yeah. memory yeah. on the, on the colored iMac, 24 inch iMacs. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have seen that, that if you're doing video editing stuff, um, having 16 gigs does make a bit of an improvement. Mm-hmm little bit of a difference, but it's not, it's not crucial. It's $200 more for the additional yeah, eight gigs. So, yeah. you know, it does add up, but that's to me, $200 for that is like, it's a no brainer. I would yeah. just well, get it just to be safe. Yeah. That that's also kind of a, a, a longevity cost right. so that, so that as, as apps and the system needs more memory, it extends, you know, the life of the machine for like maybe a year or two. And I, I think that's worth Drilling down on a little bit, Jeff, because it was a big factor in my decision to set up my machine as as the maxed out spec. I knew that I didn't need that 64 gigabytes of memory. My iMac, which again, I watch the beach ball on every day over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was 32 gigabytes. I think I had it set up with the maximum out. And it was, I was like, well, I think that with a faster processor and a faster GPU, I still would be fine with 32 gigabytes. I went ahead and went for the maxed out max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I had better terms for these. <laughs> because I wanted to be more future proof. It's an expensive laptop. There's no denying oh, yeah. Yeah. that these products are premium technology tools and they cost a lot of money. And so I wanted it to be something that I would be able to use four or five maybe six years from now and not be looking at a beach ball spinning and mm-hmm. spinning and spinning. And so Hopefully. I maxed out. But there's another thing that I did with my spec on my machine, which I'm really happy I did. It, and it was something I really kind of, I didn't order this right away. I'm not one of these folks that had, as soon as the keynote was over, I, I hit the order button. Yeah, I spent about a, a week thinking about this and, and talking with you and talking with other people and reading a lot of reviews. And one of the things that I did was I went with a four terabyte internal SSD. Mm. And one of the things that photographers need to think about, and this is really unique to uh, anybody who does uh, digital photography or, or digital video, is the speed of the hard drives that we use. And for external hard drives, if we use SSDs, they really run the gamut of speed. Some of them are uh, abysmally slow. Mm. And for the really fast ones, a lot of times that means you're going to be building a, an SSD enclosure that has a faster drive in it. To get this to good get good working speeds, mm-hmm. the internal SSDs on the Macs have 
absurd speeds. They're yeah. incredibly fast. And so while it look while on paper you look at it and say, wow, that's a lot of more lot more money for just a few more terabytes. Why don't I just buy some external drives? I thought, wow, you know, if I can keep a year's worth of photos and all the projects I'm doing and video and audio and all this stuff on my internal hard drive, it does two things. One, it makes that process of working with that stuff so much faster. And it frees me up from having to bring anything else with me. If I'm going to go to a coffee shop or if I'm going to go on a trip, I'm really just, I've got enough space internally to handle that. And before it was always like, wow, you got your computer plus an external drive, plus the cables, plus all of the, mm-hmm. plus the, uh, the power brick and all of that stuff that you have to juggle around with. And it's really nice having that four terabytes. So how I have mine set up, and I think this has really um, worked out great for me, is I keep a year's worth of images. So every couple months I move uh, the old images off onto my external drives and my backup drives. And I keep everything that I might be working on. So within the last 12 months, all the photos I've taken last 12 months, any video, any audio, all stays on my internal drive. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm sure I'm not going to be working on it anymore, I can move it off onto my external drives. And then, of course, everything's backed up. Yes. So what works great for me is on import, no matter where I am, whether I'm traveling or here at home, I pop the SD card into the computer and I import directly onto the internal drive. I don't have to worry about having anything else hooked up to the computer for that. It isn't until later that I need to yeah. manage that stuff. So it's worked out really great and super fast, super fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, mean, like, I think that's such a huge thing is you don't have to think about it because – you know, as we've talked about on Photocombobulate, there are so many different bits and pieces and parts. And and if you can simplify where you can, it's totally worth it in the end. So for your specs, so you have the M1 Max with 32 gigs, sorry, with 64 gigs of memory and a four yeah. terabyte hard drive. Um, Correct. Real quick, I want to talk about the, the difference between the, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max and why you decided mm-hmm. to, to – to do the max versus the pro. Great. Why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Why did I do that? Um, it all comes down to two things. One is that I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be sure that if I was assembling a massive panorama in Lightroom uh, and then working on that massive file that I wasn't going to be looking at that beach ball. And so I went ahead and just said, you know what? I want the, I want as much processing power as possible. The next part of it was that future proofing thought you know, I don't know what Adobe's cooking up for next year's Lightroom or the year after that's Lightroom. All I do know is every time we upgrade software, it takes more power. It takes more processing. It takes more of the performance of that machine to operate what previously didn't take as much. So even if my files don't get bigger, the software I'm using to manage those files is going to get bigger and more and more taxing on the computer. So I wanted to make sure that in three years, I can download the latest software and use it and not be like pulling my hair out. And so that's why I maxed it out. Um, did I need to go with the max? Probably not. Honestly, you know, I, I think even with massive panoramas and massive, I was working with some ProRes, some uh, 8K ProRes video out of the DJI Mavic 3 drone. 
I shot is I maxed it out for video to test the machine. It rendered it just fine. It was super yeah. smooth with Final Cut Pro. Yeah. And they've just recently upgraded Final Cut Pro to be even better with the new Max. So I can do anything right now with this machine. And I don't have to even think about whether or not I can do it. Yeah. And I'd like to be able to say that in three years. That's why I maxed it out. Okay. Yeah. No, no, that, that's all very solid. The interesting thing. So I was going to go with the Pro, the, the M1 Pro, because I figured that was enough for me. And I think for a lot of people that also makes a lot of sense because the the difference between the M1 Pro and the M1 Max is mostly in the GPU cores, the the graphics processing cores, because the Pro has like eight or 10 processing cores and it has a 16 core GPU. So that's the M1 Pro. And then if you go to the M1 Max, it also has just, just, it has 10 cores of the CPUs. Um, eight of those are performance cores. Two of those are efficiency cores, but it has a 32 core GPU. So mostly what you're doing is you are getting more graphics processing capability by choosing the Max over the Pro. And I ultimately did that. I, I said I will go with the Max because I've been doing some video stuff. And in Final Cut Pro, when you're rendering out video, it really hits the, the GPU hard. And so that can make a huge difference. And in fact, I think even so, there have only been a couple of things that I've edited and exported that, that have pegged that GPU and actually you know, set my, my fans going. What that meant in a practical sense is something that may have taken 10 minutes to render took three, two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, definitely noticed that with video. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's also that sort of time is money thing. Like I'm not doing work where I'm getting, uh, I'm billing by the hour for video, but a lot of people do that. Like this is such a no brainer. You wouldn't even believe. So what I ended up with was uh, an M1 Max because I, I, I wanted that extra GPU processing capability. And also because even though a lot of the photo apps still don't fully take advantage of the GPU, things are moving in that direction. Especially they will. When, they will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when the companies know that they have this available, this this well of processing power that's already there in the machine. How can we take advantage of it? So it's it's moving that way. Um, I ended up getting just the 32 gigs of memory and a two terabyte hard drive. And those two considerations were mostly just for cost, just to make it more affordable. Right. But Otherwise, our machines are, are really pretty close. And I would bet for most of the things we do, we're getting pretty similar performance. Yeah, if we sat down side by side and processed a photo, you wouldn't notice in Lightroom. You just wouldn't because we wouldn't be pushing on that GPU. You know, it's right. when we're trying to render 8K Final Cut Pro, <laughs> you know, ProRes <laughs> footage that you notice it. You know, one of the things I just looked this up just because I, I don't memorize these stats, the memory bandwidth doubles when you go from the Pro to the Max. Mm -hmm. And so you go from 200 gigabytes per second to 400 gigabytes per second. And that that's noticeable when you're pushing a lot of data through through that processor. So you know, we're not going to see that on Lightroom unless really, really, really taxing it. You know, there's been a couple of times where I, there's one panorama where I took down in the Alabama Hills on our trip where I took this long panorama of the high Sierra at mm -hmm. sunrise. And I think it's 24 images, you know, mm -hmm. 
And so it's a full 180 degrees. It's a, it's a huge panorama and Lightroom just won't do it. And I tried oh, it with really? Capture One. It just It's just like, that's too much, dude. What oh, are you going to do with all that? Yeah. <laughs> and so there are points where the software says it can't do it. But I think, I think that this, the computer could pull it off. The computer could handle that file. I have mm-hmm. no idea what the final resolution would be, but it'd be massive. It'd be absolutely massive. Yeah. And I do make some really incredibly big files because when I stitch these panoramas, I keep you know the full resolution. I want every pixel. I spent a lot of money on that camera with the big sensor. I want all those pixels. And I end up outputting a smaller file at the end. But there's going to be a day where I'm going to want every one of those pixels for a massive print or something like that. Totally. And so I love having a computer that can crunch that. So um, I'm curious. Have you tried building that in Photoshop? Because I think Photoshop is is better about large files. Yeah, I haven't tried that. and honestly, okay. it's it would be just purely academic. It's not a file I would ever output because it would be absurdly long. <laughs> you know, 180 yes. degree panorama <laughs> of a mountain range. There's a point where you're like, well, who's going to print that? You know, you're going to have this yeah. four foot long print that's eight inches tall or 12 inches tall. It's like ridiculous. But um, no, I'm thinking, I kept it. I'm thinking mural. I'm thinking like like a really long wall, like down a hallway, like like, <laughs> like eight feet tall and 50 feet long. But I've got a file for thing. that. If I you ever have do a client it. that comes to me and says, hey, we're doing a dentist's office. We want a <laughs> giant mural of the High Sierras. You know, I've got that totally. in my hard drive. It's ready to go. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, so by, by comparison, uh, while we were getting set up, I did a panorama of uh, – I think it was 20 images – that I shot on our trip. Um, and actually it was an HDR panorama. So uh, right. e- each spot, three exposures and Lightroom has the ability to just do that. The HD panorama uh, feature, I can't remember what they call it, but just to see a, what it was doing in terms of the processors uh, and how, how long it would take. And so 20 images, this is taken with my X-T3. So uh, it's a 26 megapixel sensor. Each file is probably around 50 to 60 megabytes. Uh, mm-hmm. It took, I want to say, from start to finish. So that means uh, selecting them all, running the thing, seeing the preview, clicking merge, and having a, an end image was about two minutes. Now, that's not as you know, pixel intensive as what your camera is making, but that's still quite a lot. And I also That's noticed, a lot of pixels. Yeah. That's a lot of pixels. And I also noticed in, in the iStat menus, uh, in, in Lightroom, so this is the, the newer just straight Lightroom desktop, not Lightroom Classic. I didn't try it in Classic. Okay. Um, uh, it did use all the processors. So um, I can see mm-hmm. like, like my you know, 10 processors. It was using those a lot. Uh, didn't even touch the GPU. And so the processors can handle it. You know, yeah, exactly. Passing it so, through. so, you know, the fact that I was able to do that where on, on my other machine, it would have taken at least twice as long, maybe longer. And the fan would, would just be blasting. Yeah. It would, it would increase the internal temperature of whatever coffee shop you're in by two degrees. You know, <laughs> <Yes, it would. laughs> <laughs> who's got the hairdryer going in here? One last detail that I want to touch on uh, before we get into workflows is with the M1 Max, if you get the Apple Mac Studio, Studio Mac, Mac Studio, you would think as Apple fanboys, I would just know this, the the Mac Studio, you can get the M1 Ultra chip, 
which is basically two M1 Max chips fused together, literally, and that gives you a whole lot more performance. So that's where you're spending a whole lot more money. And the people who who are doing the video editing and output all day long, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing for them. <laughs> it is. And I'm looking at the specs right here. It's uh, the M1 Ultra chip has 20 core GPU with 16 performance cores and four efficiency cores. It's got a 48 core GPU. So the first one is a CPU, sorry. 48 mm-hmm. core GPU, 32 core neural engine with 800 gigabytes of memory, gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth. So the twice, twice the speed, basically twice the performance of, of the M1 yeah. Max. Yeah. We wouldn't see that. I mean, if we're, if we're doing stitching panos in Lightroom, and we're not getting to the GPU yet. We're just using the you know the CPU cores. Mm-hmm. We're not going to touch that with the Ultra chip. But like you said, somebody doing 3D rendering or ProRes video editing, you know, high high yeah. 4K 8K type of video, you're going to be touching that. And in two or three years, we might be touching that type of performance with photo management. You know, just doing photo processing with whatever software they dream up next. And with all this AI stuff, one of the things that you do, Jeff, very, very well is you keep track of all the AI features in software that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's a a tidal wave of AI stuff. Those processes take a lot (laughs) to run. And so as they come out with more and more software that is smarter and smarter, having a machine that can crunch that data uh, and run those AI processes so they can find the sky and find the people's faces in the photos. Right, right. It's going to, you know, we're just not going to be watching those beach balls anymore. We're going to be able to just do <laughs> well, our work. We one hope. would hope, yeah. yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. We'll, we'll fingers say, crossed. So, so especially with the AI stuff, uh, these chips have this, a special neural engine that actually, like it, it's hardware, uh, separate cores that are devoted to that sort of machine language processing. And so the the M1 Max has a 16-core neural engine. The M1 Ultra has a 32-core neural engine. So that's another thing on top. The funny thing is, if you remember, and I'm going to totally date myself here, but uh, back when we were in college, mm-hmm. the, the, the Mac 2 FX, I think, was announced. And I remember the, that. the specs on that were just just out of the water. And I remember specifically thinking like, we will never have to wait for anything to happen again. We're not going to get a little, I can't even remember. Like, I think it was just a, a spinning cursor. Maybe it wasn't a beach ball because that came with, with Mac OS 10, but it was right. something else. But you know, that, that, that sort of pause, I was like the two effects, this is going to be just amazing. And I graduated from college. I went to work somewhere where like, I was doing page layout and stuff mm-hmm. and they had a two FX there. Ooh. I think, I think the owner, you know, got all caught up in like, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing. And you know what? I saw that damn spinning little thing yeah. after all. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so, so, so don't, don't get too wedded to the fact that we'll never see the spinning beach ball because you also have the software that's going to, you know, <laughs> hiccup and everything every time. But well, and I, think I totally get what you're saying. I think that's, but I think that's important to appreciate. Maybe, yes. you know, I, I'm trying to be appreciative here of the fact that <laughs> software designers now know that they can go there yes, and that the machines will do it. And when it comes to things like these AI, I was telling you, I recently downloaded Topaz Sharpen AI mm, yeah. and for a plugin, 
that uses AI to figure out how to sharpen a really high resolution photo, how fast it works, how right it is most of the time. I was telling mm-hmm. you, like, there's only been one time where I've used it where I was like, that doesn't look right. Every other time it's like, no, you did it. That's great. Uh, you know, go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just astounding. And that's a process that I think my old computer would have just said, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, I may have even crashed it. There were a lot of times there'd be things I'd be doing where it would just sit there for a while spinning that beach ball and then it would just go dark and yeah. it would have a, a, a major malfunction and crash. <laughs> and um, I'd pull my hair out and I'd scream and shout and, and, and that I don't need that kind of stress. So, you know, knowing that software designers are able to come up with things that we can't even imagine yet that makes our photos look better. All this software that's coming out now that fixes problems that we used to just tolerate, you know, noise, uh, lack of sharpness in certain parts of our images. Yeah. Um, th- how much time I spent in Photoshop in years past selecting a sky and now Lightroom will do it in four seconds. Mm-hmm. It just makes me feel <laughs> like it's amazing. You know, we're in the future and yeah. I, I love it. So I want to, I just remembered something last fall. I remember we came back from our trip and uh-huh. I had stitched together a panorama and there was a bunch of dust spots in the sky. Cause I have a Sony camera and they, they eat dust. There's a bunch <laughs> of dust spots in the sky. And every time I went to clone out a dust spot, it would give me the beach ball for a few minutes. And I remember sending that file over to you and on an M one mini Mac, right? A Mac mini, you were right. able to process those, get rid of those dust spots in like, you know, 30 seconds. You just went bang, 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 bang down the line. There's no wait. And that was a base model, low spec, early M1 chip. So going from that to what we have now in just a few years, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. I think, think, you know, based on this, I can totally see you adding dust to your lenses just so you can (laughs) go back and process and be like, oh, you know what? My lens was clean, but I threw a little bit of yeah, I just little keep, bit I just, of dirt on there. I just, just so pour I can some do dirt this in later. my camera bag and just <laughs> shake my cameras around in it. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> listener, please don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't ever do that. You know, dust spots are still a problem, but now I don't have to sit and wait to clone yeah. them out. I just, you know, I just part of my process. I was doing a demo for a class uh, recently, and it was just like, okay, and now I'll get rid of the dust spots. Bing, bing, bing. Mm-hmm. And I'm on to the next thing. And before, I would never do a demo in a class because I'm not going to sit there and like, okay, I'm gonna hang on, everybody. Why don't you go get a coffee and come back, and this will be done in a second. Now I don't hesitate to do demos and live with my with my computer. And that's another thing. Both of us do that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I used to make keynotes where I would screen shoot each step of the process. So I would go through it in the keynote right. instead of doing it in Lightroom, because right. I knew that if I tried to do it in Lightroom, it would just take too long and it would ruin mm-hmm. the presentation's flow. Yeah. And now I can just say, hey, we're going to stop the, the keynote and I'm going to jump over to Lightroom and show you how this is done. And it's like bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I'm already and, forgotten that I used to not be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is so key to everything that we that we talk about here is the fact that you were intentionally not doing things that you wanted to do because you knew it would take time and it would add frustration. Ultimately, the end result should be a nice, clean photograph, a nice, clean panorama that you spent time to go and shoot. You've spent money to for equipment to shoot it. And yet you ran into a spot where 
all of that was for nothing. And this image would never be seen because you knew that you had to first build the panorama and that was going to take hours. You would go and have dinner and mm -hmm. come back and hopefully <laughs> the computer didn't crash in the middle of it. Yeah. And then you're doing your corrections and knowing in advance that just fixing spots in the sky, clicking once and have it spin for a couple of minutes, that's insane. And so you were not, ultimately you were not getting what you wanted and the big block was this computer. And now mm -hmm. having a new computer, obviously not everybody needs to go buy a new computer every time they come out, but it has made a tangible, empirical difference and improvement in your photographic life. And I think that's just kind of amazing. Yeah. And every time I've purchased a new computer and replaced, you know, the, the several year old one with it, I saw performance gains, but with this, this new laptop, it is day and night. It's not just a, an evolution. I, I, I can't think of ever having a technological leap like we've experienced with this Apple chip. I, I just, the fact that I forgot that I used to not do live <laughs> demos of Lightroom, yeah. it, it, I'm sitting here sort of amused like that. I don't even think twice about it anymore. And I, I want to just circle back around on that. The prices of these machines is astounding. Mm -hmm. The There are cheaper alternatives out there. But when it comes to my work as a photographer, as a creative person, I do a lot of this stuff because I enjoy it. And I had reached a point with my old computer where I didn't actually enjoy processing my photos. Yeah. And I have massive Lightroom library and I have been going back through and looking. And over the last three years, there's a lot of photos I never even touched because I just didn't have the patience to do them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, that, that really hurt me as a photographer. That hurt my work. That hurt my business. It did not... <laughs> make the, the process enjoyable. So I wasn't going and doing more photography because it was like, well, what's, what's the point? You know, I, I don't even have a computer that can do that. Yeah. And now it's, it's not even a consideration. I just know that when I get back from a shoot, I'm going to import those photos in and I can do whatever I want and it's going to do it without pause and it's going to be fun. And I, I just did a whole bunch of photos. I've been going back and reprocessing photos from my portfolio on my website and mm. I'm seeing big improvements because the process isn't necessarily that the process is better, that the tools are that much better. It's that I'm more focused because I'm not distracted by that spinning beach ball. Cause I, uh -huh. I don't know if it's, if you're like this, Jeff, I watch a beach ball for a while. I disinvest from the process. I'm like, oh, and I'm often, I've got my yeah. phone or my iPad open and I'm looking at some article or looking at somebody else's photos and I forget what I'm doing. And then I go back to it and I'm not committed. And you know, that, that affects your brain, you know, it affects your creativity when you're stopped all the time by the, by the tool. So totally. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So Jeff, we've, we've been chatting about these computers for a while and, Obviously, I think I've hammered pretty well that these things are very capable at taking lots of files, and combining them into big panoramas and doing mm -hmm. all this great stuff. But on a more practical note, I think as to wrap up here, we should just appreciate the fact that everything that we've always done with our computers with regards to photography has gotten easier with these faster computers. Scrolling through Lightroom galleries, you know, I used to you know, <laughs> grab that slider and slide down and then I'd have to wait. 
you know, and wait and wait and wait. Okay, okay. Let me jump in and just say maybe this this one thing will convince people. <laughs> Using Lightroom Classic is normal. Yes. Like you don't feel like Lightroom Classic is slow. And right. you know, God love you, Adobe, but and and they know this too. Lightroom Classic has been a bit of a hog, a really slow hog for many many years, and they've done a lot of work on it. But especially with these machines, it just works the way you're expecting it to, rather than scrolling, waiting, scrolling, waiting, clicking, waiting. Yeah. Like that alone may just blow people's minds. Yeah, that alone is – it's almost like a party trick. Like watch what I can do. <laughs> I can scroll images. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can go all the way to the bottom of my library and, and, and show you those images and not have to wait an hour. But what's what I really appreciate with this new MacBook Pro is I can use Lightroom Classic at full speed and not pause and not wait. But it, it used to be that that's all I would do. I would use Lightroom Classic. I might sneak something over to Photoshop to do some repair work or something on it. But most of the time when I was processing images, I'm, I'm just doing them in Lightroom Classic and I'm getting what I get out of them. Now in Lightroom Classic, we have all these additional tools, this new masking stuff that's just astounding, yeah. the sky selection, subject selection, the ability to merge things into HDR, into panoramas is so much faster. Um, and that's something we used to have to do kind of laboriously. All that is super fast and super easy within Lightroom. But then to add to that, these plugins, these extra programs that take the creative process even further, like Luminar uh, Neo, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's still still getting better, but it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, Topaz, this new Sharpen AI that I've been using is just awesome. I can't believe I ever lived without it. And so now I have a... a Creative process that starts in Lightroom, progresses to two other programs sometimes, mm -hmm. and then back into Lightroom. And there, at no point do I ever hit a wall with performance. It just, it just works. And so in the time it would take me to process a photo on my old machine, just in Lightroom Classic, now I'm able to take it much, much further in less time. And it's so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Um, for, my column in Popular Photography, I recently wrote about uh, DxO Pure Raw 2, which lets you – I don't want to say pre-process, but basically lets you take your raw files and it handles the the demosaicing and mm -hmm. the noise reduction and does this really intelligent processing as the step before you then go do your adjustments. And that has been amazing, especially – in photos where I've shot at high ISOs and I know right. they're going to be noisy and that has changed the way I'm starting to shoot because now I'm not as afraid of kicking the ISO up to 3200, for example, knowing it's going to be a bit noisy, but I need that, that extra oomph to, to get enough light in my scene, knowing that I can clean that up super easy just with this one plugin and then go do all of my other edits. Yeah. And so even even to the shooting aspect of what we're talking about, having the processing power to do that on my computer is affecting how I am using the camera, which right. I never would have made that connection or, or thought that, that one would affect the other. And yet it's starting to. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's really you know, pretty amazing. You think about it. Uh, the whole photographic process 
you know, I've always, in, in my classes, I always tell everybody there's two parts. There's the capture and then there's the processing. The fact that the capture affects the processing is obvious, but the fact that the processing can affect the capture, that's a new idea. Yeah. And knowing that you can mitigate some of the shortcomings of your, your capture tools, your cameras and your lenses through smarter software and more powerful computers that can run that smarter software. It really is. It's, it's, we're living in a great time to be photographers because our creativity can really blossom in this type of environment because it, we can do it. If you can yeah. think of it, you can probably pull it off. I'm really excited to see what Adobe and these other companies do with their software now that they have processors and computers that can can crunch that sort of data and make those sorts of things happen. Because I know these engineers that dream up things like, you know, these AI sharpening tools. I know these engineers will take this just further and further and further down the road for us. Yeah. And I'm excited to see that. You know, there are little things right now that almost seem like novelties, like the neural filters in Photoshop. Um, <laughs> they're sort of like toys right now. Yeah. Those things are going to become mainstream tools that we don't even think about anymore. And these computers will just bang them out. And it's it's incredible. So yeah. no matter what kind of photography you do, it's a great time to be a photographer. It's sure. always a great time to be a photographer. And now it's even better. Yeah. It's even better. Even better. <laughs> So what we're going to do in the show notes, Jeff, is we'll put the specs for each of our machines in there and we'll put uh, links to your articles on the AI stuff that you wrote for popular photography. Mm -hmm. And we will pop any other things into the show notes that we think might help people make decisions when it comes to looking at these new uh, Apple computers, which are amazing. Check out the show notes page. We can't leave without mentioning uh, all of the important stuff, which is we absolutely appreciate that you're listening to us and you can help us out by liking and rating and writing reviews for photocombobulate at uh, iTunes music podcast app. Uh, I, I don't even remember all the different places. There's Wherever so you're many getting, places. So many places. <laughs> uh, but Doing this actually helps us uh, expand our reach and bring us to more listeners. And obviously, I think at the top of that list is if you know a friend or a uncle or aunt or somebody who's into photography uh, who would appreciate this podcast, please let them know. And uh, we thoroughly appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can also find all of our uh, past episodes at photocombobulate.com. And there's places there where you can also sign up for our newsletter. So we'll let you know when we drop new episodes. So we'd appreciate that. And thank you so much for making it this far through this episode. And we will see you <laughs> next time. See you next time. Mm -hmm.